work together and keep keep thinking how we are actually going to work together to make to make happen all the transformations and things that we are doing. And what was the core uh, entry point for this for you know what you were discussing around how we should set up the team today? What what, what was sort of the what were you discussing in more concrete detail? Well, it's a lot about when we get into the points of developing something, we need to be very, very efficient as well mm. and get to the point of industrializing the solutions that we are building. Mm. Also to create the right uh, momentum in the organization, right? Uh, it's similar to many, many different organizations. We all face challenges around uh, how fast can we move, how, how efficient we are doing things and how do we actually collaborate across the organization. So we've have designed different roles and we have designed different different areas in the in, in the team. So we create the maximum impact with uh, the resources and the technologies that we have in house. Um, there is a lot of quite interesting new roles that we have created as well in our organization that actually are making a huge huge impact and differentiation on how do we actually make the change happen and how do we drive change management. Sometimes when we talk about AI, we talk about data, we forget that it's all about change, right? Oh, we have so many topics <laughs> coming out of this. But to stay on the team topic now, uh, interestingly enough, I'm, I'm very, very closely in, in these kind of conversations on a, on a data DevOps and oh, DevOps data and analytics teams in Scania right now. Mm -hmm. And we are doing a lot of conversations around trying to understand sort of what is our value stream teams, sort of the offering oriented teams versus what these are sort of enablement teams and product teams. So is that kind of also to try to understand and synthesize what is the core contribution and mission and flavor of different teams? Because I can imagine when it grows and we, uh, both Scania and Ericsson has a global footprint, it's not only one team, right? No, it, it's, and they absolutely. need to work on different things. So Excellent. could you elaborate a little bit on your, yes, on, on mean, your concrete uh, thinking here? I mean, it has been very similar to what also what you mentioned, right? So we, we started as a one uh, setup of organization, just looking at making use cases running. Mm -hmm. And we adopted the agile methodology mm -hmm. in, and we start working with different types of teams to, to put them with different profiles together to generate mm -hmm value to the organization. And these profiles, is that like a cross-functional cross -functional team around a use case domain exactly. area? And then it could, it's a domain expert, mm -hmm. a subject matter expert in the area mm -hmm. together with data people, mm -hmm. with together with data scientists, data engineers, and different profiles together with architects to come up with a proposition, a product, a digital product that will change or enable something in our flow. Right, the whole processes. And, and the, you, you used the word product here, which I find really interesting because when we create something in analytics mm -hmm. and we want the users of or the organization to be able to consume it effectively to get the value, mm -hmm. we need to think carefully of how it will be used so it's exactly. seamlessly used in their daily work. Exactly. And my experience has been always been sometimes we, we run quite quickly into the technology, mm -hmm. we develop a solution, mm -hmm. and sometimes we forget that it's a, it's a product. Yeah. People need to adopt it and they need to create the value to their day-to-day -day work that it might change ways of working, it might change exactly. perhaps also the way things were done, not only the way of working, but also the actual nature of the work will I, change. I'm so with you here and, and uh, oh, we have a topic coming up here. Uh, 
you know, have you heard the the expression "the last mile of analytics"? Yes. You know, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we've been playing around with that. We say the last mile is the first mile. Understand how it will be used and what the problem. You know, so there are many things to understand around this adoption topic that Absolutely. really flips the way you need to think about what my team needs to be able to cater for. It's not only ideation. Mm. It's not only technicality or data science to come up with an algorithm. Mm. It's also about how it will be used and how we will be adopting it. And in a global conversation, this mm. last part of the challenge is huge, right? Because mm. now you're doing something maybe in a team in Stockholm, Shista, mm. and you are thinking about how should the team in Peru use this yeah. and how should I support, you know, so this becomes exactly. huge. Yeah. So, and then is, of course, is where the network and the the different drivers of what we call the digitalization and, mm. and how do we actually engage the rest of the organization to do this, mm. right? And to uh, not only is, it's not really about only about adopting the tool, but the reasons why they need to change it, what is in for them mm -hmm. to do it, right? So I know, I mean, ma there's a lot, it's a big journey for many different companies to find the right model. And I also think that every organization finds different ways to do it. And sometimes some organizations find one model that works for them in their setup, in the way that they're organizing. Their in the context of their whole global organization. Exactly, mm. exactly. And others like in Ericsson or we've done before in others in companies like in Electrolux or DHL where I work, mm -hmm. I, we found a different way to do it, right? And every every company, the, depending on the system, the systems, the culture and the values that you have, you, you find the way to do it, the model, right? That operating model that allows us to do work and it's a combination of the people the technology you choose that you because of your legacy and the processes that you have so then you identify what what needs to be changed but oh this uh, because if we go down now into if we stay on the team topic here um w one of the um, books or best practices that i've been sort of getting more and more deeper into has been uh, on the conversation of team topologies have, have you read the book or have you heard about uh, the, the concept of team topologies? No, not actually, no. Okay. Uh, and I, this is, I think it fits 100% well into platform thinking, agility and all that. And it's basically to understand if you build a platform, mm -hmm. you end up with uh, teams with different characteristics and basically different OKRs. Yeah. And, and uh, simply put, uh, we, can, we can distinguish between a, a value stream oriented like a product team cross-functional, solving a, a real business problem, a use case. Mm -hmm. And then when you scale, you might have other teams which are focusing on the platform mm. to speed up the work of the different use case teams. So mm. if you can imagine if you have one use case team and one platform, it's not a problem. If I have 20 mm. value streams, use case teams, that basically we don't want them to reinvent the wheel on the infrastructure side, like, you know, DevOps top topics. Absolutely. Then all of a sudden we have a team which has a horizontal understanding and their KPI is not the use case value. Mm -hmm. Their KPI is total cost of ownership. Their KPI is scalability, reusability. Excellent. So, so here now we, we have, we, this is now team topologies. Mm -hmm. We're starting to understand the value stream, vertical team, mm -hmm. the horizontal style team. And then we can discuss, okay, and how do we deal with legacy? Okay, here we have another 
topology. We have a subsystem expert team. You mm. need to be, you need to know, know yeah. Cobalt, right? Yeah. Or Fortran, yeah. because you have an old super system, you know, so what's the team composition here that works with the platform team that, you know. Exactly. So this has yeah. been on my mind a lot yeah. lately to try to understand yeah. On how to scale this up? Yeah, what do you follow I, this? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I can just recognize all the day-to-day -day activities that we do. Yeah, because I mean, you're you're right, right? I mean, I, I was talking to, to to a colleague yesterday, exactly around this topic. We say, look, uh, we can s many people can now generate something on their PC. When we talk about AI, we mm -hmm. can generate a model. It's a PLC. We show it to somebody, and great, it works. Um, when you actually want to industrialize this, when you actually want people to use it at scale, uh, at scale. Exactly. like we're talking about hundreds, thousands of users at the same time using one solution, getting a recommendation from an AI or choosing three different alternatives and of people to work with, I don't know. Um, then it needs to be in a solid platform. And you're right, it's not really might be not even the same profiles of the team members that actually need to work on that. Because for now, then you need actually to secure operations. You need to secure that the machines are running. You need to secure that there is a service level. And you need to secure, on the other hand, that you need to cater for new ideas coming up from the business requirements and keep scaling up, right? And multiple breaking it down in multiple pieces. But sometimes also, what I've noticed, I'm, I'm now thinking quite a lot about the innovation piece of all of this, mm. because very often, uh, if I think about a very legacy uh, system, right, mm. it can also lead to teams getting stuck too much into just the operational in industrialization things. Yes. You also need to have and cater for the innovation, the one that continuously will disrupt, even what the new thing that you have created that needs to disrupt it one more time. And if you don't have that mentality, that continuous disruption, continuous change, continuous improvement, you might end up that the new solution that you created and industrialized becomes legacy very soon. Oh. That's what keeps me awake. But but <laughs> here we have a, here we have um, another pet uh, conversation we can talk about. For my yeah. sake, I've been trying to understand this mindset shift when you are shift when you're basically. Your ideology is the traditional economies of scale. We have used, we, we draw swimming lanes of our process, fairly stable environments. Mm -hmm. And then you're moving into a, um, a situation where, uh, where the innovation pressure is increasing, the productivity frontier is accelerating, the innovation pace that we need to deal with. All of a sudden, everything changes in terms of how do we organize mm -hmm. to basically on a daily basis, reinvent ourselves, yeah. which is crazy, right? It's crazy. But yeah. it's but but if you follow, you know, you have Kurzweil's law of accelerating returns, right? Yeah. That it really highlights uh, ex, uh, the ex exponential uh, exponentiality mm. of innovation. You have Metcalf's law of uh, network effects and what happens, you know, when we start stringing new things together. Mm. It all points in the same direction that that this is exponentiality. So it, it yeah. is not going to slow down. It's just going to go faster and faster and faster. And, and my main understanding, together with Mikkel Klingvall, who has been mm -hmm. on this show before. Mm -hmm. uh, I see, I see. Yeah, it's, it's crazy because all of a sudden we, we start talking about economies of learning or, mm. or, or ability to adapt and relearn uh, is what counts. Yeah. And then not only for the individual, 
but for the team and also for the operating model. Yeah. Because sometimes our operating model is all about industrialization and what we know. Yeah. And we have a really, really hard time bringing in the new innovation. It becomes exactly. almost a clash. Exactly. No, so this it, is an interesting um, topic, right? It is. And I am fully with you with when, when you say, I mean, imagine, I mean, that happens to individuals, mm-hmm. but you need to change. And you're asked, and you, some people have, especially generations with the digital mindset, um, but also generations that have gone through huge changes in life. Yeah. And it's not only the new generations that are ready for that, right? But it's how you combine them, how you make them actually exactly. work and, um, and get the best out of it. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, I think, I mean, I've been working in very large, large companies, so I know how difficult it is sometimes to just to get a huge organization to change. A huge organization is maybe a team performs really well, maybe an individual and changes and continuously disrupt and change within. Um, the interesting part is when you do it with large organizations, when lar- very large organizations start uh, uh, taking that approach, um, also reinventing again and again and again. And, and, and here we can talk about culture and mindset and all this, but how to change culture mindset in a large organization is a little bit to understand that maybe the mindset and culture is a, is a result out of our core mandates, our core mechanisms. What is, mm. what KPIs do we have that fosters innovation versus what mandates and KPIs do we have that fosters efficiency, so to speak, on what we know. Yeah. And, and so I think this becomes very, very interesting when you have a, a large enterprise that mm. how do we set up our steering mechanisms, our organi- you know, that values these things in balance with, be, with being efficient on, yeah. on what we know. It's exactly. really hard. No, it, it is hard. And, it's, um, and, and again, I mean, this is, I believe it sometimes is not one answer fits everyone, right? It really depends sometimes on the type of organization and the history, the pressure, the urgency in, in a certain moment of time that allow us to take those steps. Um, but innovation, and especially in, this, in the digital economy, it's... Um, Sometimes we think we need to innovate and do the hackathons, of course, right? But it's when we realize that the innovation is to happen every single day. And then chapter four, that that innovation comes into a system of production, a production system. We speak, to, we, we speak the same language because it's what you're saying, a hackathon or shooting New Year's rocket yeah. is fantastic and we get energized. Yeah. But how fast can we do it and do the cycle from idea to commercial monetization exactly. in reality yeah. at scale. Yes. Because all of a sudden now, uh, what is an innovation, a, an innovation until we actually proven that mm. it works? We can have great ideas, mm. but what is innovative? Well, it doesn't prove it's innovative until it's proven to work. Exactly. It so, brings the value. So, the so, you know, so when we look at innovation, mm. it's the whole system from mm. idea generation to idea sorting and uh, from discovery to filtering, mm-hmm. from filtering to creation of something new, and then from creation of something new to adoption, ramping up, industrializing. Yes. So the innovation dilemma or problem, uh, is, it, is it really a problem of coming up with great ideas? Or actually, if we look at our prototype graveyard, mm-hmm. a lot of the great ideas are there, 
it was our failure to execute or to industrialize that really was the innovation failure. Exactly. Yeah. That's and, the hard part. And we have so many examples in in the history, right? I mean, uh, many innovations that actually had happened so many years ago. Exactly. But either there was not the right moment in the market mm. or the company was not ready to actually do the execution to conquer market share and to actually mm. enable the somebody, society to use it. That is, um, we have so many examples and those examples happen all the time in big organizations. Right. So I, I, I will I will put uh, innovation to the to the list here uh, yeah. of, of topics. But we want to have a great uh, conversation today. So I must welcome you properly, Danfer Navarro Thank from you. Ericsson, joining us here today. Thank you. I'm really really excited around Super this. Super happy to be here. And you've had many uh, interesting roles from Electrolux all the way up into Ericsson through your career. So I'm really keen to learn how you ended up in your thinking where you are today, uh, yeah. because already now in the, <laughs> in the first minutes, oh, uh, you know, I, I usually say, oh, I have goosebumps mo moments when someone <laughs> says something really smart and yes, I wish okay. I could say that smart. <laughs> you already done that to me wow, today. That's good. <laughs> good. But uh, who, who are you done for? Could you just introduce yourself yeah. uh, a little bit? No, awesome. I mean, no, again, super happy to be here. Um, I come from Peru. So I, I'm going to tell you a bit my, my story, my, how I ended up in, in Stockholm and Sweden. And in AI space. And <laughs> in the AI space, right? So it has been a journey. And I, I study economics. That has been my, my, my background. And in economics, I, I work in strategy. I work in um, developing macroeconomics models. Econometrics was one of my favorite topics. I remember being called a bit like, oh, are you the only one that really likes that? <laughs> no, but we had a lot of, uh, we had a great, great teacher. Um, he, he pushed us the boundaries of econometrics, right? And that's when I discover a bit of a passion for computers and IT and systems moving and creating a model. So I was um, always enjoying um, that course. And, and one time in, I remember, in, in, I say, this could be a fun thing to do. It could be a fun, a fun work, you know, to, to work in econometrics. Mm -hmm. and, and that time had a bit more of a fancy name, quantitative analytics or quantitative analysis was called, right? At scale. We didn't have the supercomputers we have today. <laughs> so, um, but I studied there. I, I've done many things and worked in the telecom industry, in the airline industry in Peru. Um, then I, in the early, yeah, in the early industry in finance and in sales, I decided to do an MBA. Uh, I went to, to Rotterdam, uh, in Rotterdam School of Management in RSM. It was a fantastic experience, great colleagues, great people, a lot of inspiration. Um, in that MBA, through my career, I realized, well, you know, this econometric time is actually coming back because before I was a much about into building solutions and models. And I was kind of the first adopters of the Excel, all the Excel functions that <laughs> you could find. That was not the time where you, you didn't have any more these visualization tools or anything like that, right? So you, you still had something, uh, it was Excel and other tools that you, you manage. And so I did the MBA. In the MBA, I love the statistics. I remember, uh, well, I was actually probably one of of a few that really <laughs> loved, loved the statistics, statistics. <laughs> and I, I felt, wow, this is super exciting. I mean, 
this is one of the things that I really want to work on, right? So um, after the MBA, I went to DHL. I work in, in Germany, in Bonn. Uh, fantastic experience with a lot of great colleagues. And I had the, the luxury again to have great people that believed in me and gave me opportunities to do sales performance in that moment. So, um, and I went deep into that was my opportunity. Now I actually will learn and understand everything, how you create a system to visualize things and put all the numbers together. So we got the great, the greatest sales performance in, in the group, right? And, and we did that. So it was a great experience and that's how I learned. And I developed in the very early ages of data scientists, start developing things myself. And uh, even though my role was uh, as a senior expert into the into performance management, right? So performance management within the domain of sales. Yeah. And in, this, in, in the context of your company, trying to understand, you know, how do we measure performance or how can we use statistical uh, approaches, data science approaches. Mm. What year is this? This is now 20, 2009, yeah. 20, 2010. Mm -hmm. um, then we are going into a more and more development. And then we realize, well, you know what? There are coming tools where you actually can visualize this in real time. Mm -hmm. You can create these performance metrics and you mm -hmm. can start doing forecasting with the statistics background, right? So that was my chance. And we did a lot of good things around developing those kind of models and developing those kind of things. Um, then um, then life um, took me to Sweden. Yeah. Uh, love took me to and Sweden. And the love took me to course. Sweden. <laughs> yeah. So we moved and um, to Stockholm. I continued with DHL and then soon after I moved to Electrolux where I work with our business intelligence function. Um, again, had the luxury of having great, great colleagues uh, with a fantastic culture of innovation, of can-do attitude. Um, we and we which part in Electrolux were you doing? Started BI? in marketing. Marketing. Started in marketing sales, mm -hmm. um, connected to the strategy. So I had colleagues that work, very, very smart colleagues working in the strategy um, of, of the global marketing function. Um, and with them, we, we develop a lot of now sophisticated solutions, right? Data mining, collecting a lot of information all over the internet, um, commercializing. And what that. was the business problem or business questions or decisions that you wanted to support? We wanted to looking at, look, how do we sell better? How do we gain market share? How do we sell the Electrolux products are better than, better positioned in the market, in the industry than competitors? Mm -hmm. And with all the different threats a bit to what we were discussing a bit, mm -hmm. with innovation, with new competitors and so on, and business models being redesigned, um, you of course need to position in a certain way, right? And that type of business problems, we started looking at data. So we answered the question with data, collecting data, analyzing the data and putting metrics and a system in place. Um, was an easy beginning. Now, this is yeah. interesting, right? Because I, I remember from my career in these early stages, of uh, big data and everything like that. How did you cope? Were you sort of up, you had an idea what you needed to do, but you basically needed to build the stack. You need to understand, okay, we, we need capabilities to assemble data. We need capabilities to clean the data. We need the capabilities to put a model around it. Because not always did we have that out of the no. box. In no, the we, system. we had business applications, of course, yeah. a lot of them, mm -hmm. but uh, the toolbox 
for getting the data together and understanding how to build, even if we now talk real time. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I mean, in some cases, sometimes also that is the way that you, to build a capability, you need to try it out and be very ambitious about what you want to do, mm. right? And only then you realize this is what actually we have. We can build this cap type of capabilities. In that time, we didn't have. I mean, we, we had, of course, databases. We had ways and means to collect and analyze data. But um, that type of information that we're looking for, and it was out there, but uh, not in our grasp. Right. So the difference is that, oh, we have all this data. Yes, but you have it. Do you have uh, nice API wrappers on them? <laughs> do you, yeah, are, are, exactly. you know, from, from the beginning, all this data is supposed to exist, but it's yeah. not at our fingertips. No. And, and in that time, even we didn't even think, I mean, what type of connections we had to create and working exactly. with partners in all over the world to try to collect that information and then... Because now it's even yeah. collecting data externally or from different of sets, course. of course. Yeah, internal and external. But then how first... How do you structure all this information that mm. comes in such a fragmented way? How do you yeah. normalize the data, mm. create a model to actually put this in place? And then when we actually try out and with a lot of fail and error, but you, you finally succeed to create information, that tells a lot about the capabilities in the, and the team building in the organization, right? Mm. So because then that actually requires a lot uh, an organization with this risk appetite to the, to say, yes, we actually can do this. And we could buy something externally, but we also can actually do this type of work, collect this type of information and bring it, actually really utilize it for day-to-day -day activities in marketing and sales and connect it to the experience of con of consumers in that time with electronics. But what is your idea here? Because, okay, I, I flip it. I think to some degree, when you want to get on a journey to really become data AI ready and, and work with these topics, th there's not an easy way to buy yourself out of it. I mean, like the, you, you need to start thinking like this is my core business and I need to recruit. Of course, I can have consultants and, mm -hmm. and um, other expert companies helping me. Mm -hmm. But the mindset here, we need to be able to have this capability. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Or can you buy, do you think there's a chance to buy this as a service? No. I th certain things you can buy it, mm -hmm. and I think it's in, there's always this choice that you can, um, but it's not, I believe it's not really all the time worth it. And even if you're going to decide to buy, you need to know what you're buying. And because you want to buy the best capabilities possible that fits the way that you work and the fits the best, the best way that you actually operate, right? Operate in your day-to-day -day business, the business problems that you actually want to solve. When you don't have that capability or mindset internally, then you might end up if trying out too many things, getting into the hype cycle of mm. things and losing the opportunity to actually build that and have that competence internally. I think what you're saying now is super important and true that the tricky point to buy this as a service are several things that you highlighted it's to truly understand the contextual situation of the company and therefore how should this data be used and what is the f detailed granular understanding of this problem. This is number one. Number two is all about the bounded context and understanding and having the same understanding of information. Mm -hmm. 
And I would argue that, okay, to some degree, you can have a generic understanding for retail or even to for white good con, uh, consum- uh, consumers, but then you get into the core context of the Electrolux company mm-hmm. and how we understand our business. So you have this sort of, so we need to be super close to the real business, the real domain experts in relation to the context of the steering and the setup of the company in order for data and information to make sense and be valuable and be used. Absolutely. So here we have it. So, okay, you can buy services now, but what you're saying is that like the main drivers, the main owners needs to be on the inside. Then we can uh, outsource or buy services on snippets of things. Yes in order to support us, but to, to hand out the baton, you figure this out for us. Yeah. I don't think it works. In a, it will never work. And even, I mean, sometimes short-term things will, will play, yeah. but not, not at this level, right? And, and then of course, and the way they, the reason also why you need to have this capability right, is also because you need to snitch it together. You yeah. need to connect the dots, right? Mm. And that nobody else will do it for you. You need to have the capability to, if you, we're talking about industrialization and so yeah. on, you need to be able to understand why things are connected. Give it a business context to this because it's connected to your business decisions. People in the field are making business decisions every day and they need that information. It's not just a service that will solve it. It's how you connect it to other areas of the company. And, and that is, I think, that is also another reason why you actually need to have that level of competences, right? And 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 then the, the last part here. So basically, you need to own it and under, truly understand where it's going. You, not until you own it on your inside can you see the network effects of understanding how different pieces of information now fit something else. Thirdly, I argue, I think it's very, very hard to get to real insights from data uh, in an actionable, result-driven way, if you don't have the sort of the normal business people, domain experts, so to speak, and the data scientists and the data engineers working on a daily basis on the on the same goal, on the same problem. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden now, as long as you haven't planned to outsource your business people, mm-hmm. you want to embed the data people very close to the problem in order for them to over time, learn, tweak, test, continue, exactly. not only on the algorithm, but how we use the algorithm in daily life. Uh, yeah. and, and all of a sudden now, can you now have a supplier demand relationship or is this a cross-functional team in the end or, or you know, a very, very tightly working together? Exactly. So even if you're using external suppliers, that's not the point. It's like, how can you make it an embedded and infused part of the core business flow? Yeah. And that's the tricky point if you're if it, there's a too big distance here, I think. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's also another reason why the argument also goes in favor of trying out these cross-functional teams. Mm. Because what you explain, it mm. pays off. Mm. Because then it actually starts people that never had the opportunity to actually experiment with new technologies, but mm. they know the business, they know what decisions need to be taken, they know where the data is, they know where the problem is. Now they suddenly have a partner, an advisor that can tell them, this is how it could be done. Mm. And on the other hand, the technological person, the data scientist, the data engineer, they also understand a lot better. Ah, that's how you are actually using it, not just how I imagine in my prototype, right? So you break the barriers by creating this type of cross-functional teams. You could argue, yes, we tried Agile, 
we are also very good at lean and many companies actually tried different methodologies but this goes beyond the methodology to my mind this goes beyond is more about teams it's about making this human humans work together so they can have a start understanding the common goals and and i fully agree with this and I, let me test uh, a rhetoric on you if you if, if you agree with this because I, I have used the uh, way of thinking about this or trying to explain the problem, what we're trying to pinpoint here. This is much more than agile. It's about the team. Mm-hmm. I love it. Because as long as you are saying, I, I'll give you an example. If the business people are working first on a business strategy, mm-hmm. then they flip a business strategy into an operating model. Mm-hmm. And then from an operating model, they flip it into ways of working mm-hmm. and ways of steering and governing. Uh, so here now, business people who hasn't who don't know exactly what can be done with technology mm. has now in an analog with w- with the best of their intentions, mm. with their knowledge of how it was in the past, th- they have now imagined based from a pure business analog perspective. Then t- typically then, okay, so this is a supply demand relationship. So we come up with the idea in business and now we flip it over to the fence. And so we want some report and analytics that supports this. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if I really want to reinvent, if I really want to have 10X effects, mm-hmm. I need to have all the different perspectives through the whole journey. Mm-hmm. So in the ideation phase of business strategy, so is your business strategy attuned to what can be done with data and AI? So we don't have an AI strategy as a consequence of an analog business strategy. We are crafting a business strategy relevant for a data and AI world. And then we are crafting an operating model that is digital first. And then we are crafting, an, uh, so what I'm, so, so you get, you, you actually get to a different result when, the, when you have the three, four perspectives on the, on the core problem in the beginning and start here versus I have the same problem, but now I take one, yeah. one competence and run it, and then sequentially, he did his best. Now you mm-hmm. try to do your best. Exactly. You're not gonna, you're not gonna end up in the same place. No, no, and that has. You see what I mean, right? Absolutely. This is the team topic yeah. that we need to have the different exactly. perspectives throughout the whole exactly. conversation. Exactly. Otherwise, it becomes this typical waterfall that we all know yeah. in, in the industry because it's the, a lot of handovers and. Mm. It creates handovers in my mind. Always creates inefficiencies, <laughs> right? Because it's like a, a game of telling in the whispering something in the ear. You tell it, and then something will miss or will be say differently. Then you need a lot of documentation and so on. You work it differently when you work in these cross-functional teams. You work it out different when you connect the strategy to the digitalization, to AI, to data, because then you are actually talking the same language. Mm. And to my mind. This is very important, talking about books, because I'm very much thinking all the time about business models. Mm-hmm. So when I talk about data, when I talk about AI, with my teams, with my peers, with colleagues, and we experiment around things, we, I always try to talk about what is the business model. Because that is how companies, like disruptive companies, change the game. Right? They are the ones that innovate constantly because they're very much focused and they ask their teams, disrupt, change the business model, challenge ourselves. Um, not every company is good at that. Uh, and, and that is probably, to me, if we want to make these teams work together cross-functionally, they need to have this higher purpose. The higher purpose needs to be about changing business model, 
challenge ourselves so we actually can achieve something with a new technology that is coming because it's constantly evolving. And I, I fully agree with this, but te- I'm going to test another way because sometimes when we say change business model, even I get so, oh, this is so big, it's up in the air, it has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. But then if we think carefully, I take an example. I'm in group finance. My job is to secure the record to report process. Mm. Every large organization has a record to report process. You have to have it, right? For legal for for doing your consolidated reporting. Mm. Now, if I use the same lingo now, and then I ask myself, what is my business model yeah. for group reporting? Yeah. And now we can disrupt how we understand record to report process by thinking about this as like, okay, this business model is I get this data from here. I need to take it through my systems record to report. I need to match it in the books and then I need to offer it to certain stakeholders. Mm. That's my business model. That's what Mm. they are paying us to do. Mm. Now I can, what's, how can I redo that whole business model 10x? So the business model thinking, what I'm trying to say, you can use that mindset on the, on the aggregated scale for the whole business, of course. And then you would argue, you know, Scania, uh, we, what's the business model of a truck manufacturer? And I'm rethinking the business model as a transport ecosystem player. Okay, this is on the highest level, strategic level. Yeah. But when I go into the company and we want to start digitizing things, mm. we need to think like that for mm. each process. Yeah. You know, what's your offering? What are you exactly. doing? And how can you reinvent your... Uh, and then we would maybe call it operating model. Yeah. But essentially, it's the but business is the internal business model of group finance. Yes. I, Why are you there? Yeah. Why are you there to offer? And how can you change that? Exactly. Do you agree? And I fully agree. I, and, and, that's, and that's the thinking, right? Because that's also to me, I think sometimes we might get, and we have seen this example so many times, that we get stuck into show us the efficiency, show us the value, when we actually not have asked the right question exactly. before what how would you actually what is exactly what we want to change what is the process behind it and not only that the process is already documented is valuable because we all maybe know it very very well but how do we challenge that because that is where technology can completely disrupt right and and of course a company like you say very high level business model is a combination of the end of multiple of them multiple and small ecosystems working together exactly and processes combined and stitched together and then over the years the bigger the company the more complex it becomes then it's about and if you don't have this mentality of innovation it's very difficult to actually simplify it because one day it will become really 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 difficult right and it becomes almost not impossible job, but it's becoming harder. Because I, I, he- I heard, I hear you using the word innovation now, that you want to have, a, even, even if you get a problem to solve, mm-hmm. I want to increase the efficiency in this uh, finance process. The mindset you still need to take is not, oh, I'm going to change my ERP system or I'm going to change my reporting setup. Mm-hmm. D- what you're really saying is, how do I innovate this process? How do I have an innovation mindset that w- where I'd really then truly understand, okay, what is the real problem here? Oh, is complexity based on technical depth, whatever, right? Exactly. So this is then, you know, this is what we need to innovate or fix. So this innovation mindset then applies also, fragmented on highest mm-hmm. level, but also in the way we approach yeah. solve problems. Exactly. 
and, and it's the mindset as, as well, right? Because that's so, what's so important is actually to to build this type of competences as well. Mm. Because that's normally when po the post-mortem analysis that you do after something didn't work. Exactly. It ends up saying, oh, wow, you know what? It actually didn't have, we didn't have enough innovation here. We didn't have enough enough things to actually change because it's given and we cannot change it. So we let it be one more year or two more years. And and of course, I mean, complexities in different systems are, or companies depends the complexity of every single company, right? Mm -hmm. So we have also have to respect for that, but the mindset is so important, right? And and the mindset of, that's why, that's why you need to incubate certain teams and invest. I always encourage to invest in certain teams that can incubate the new mindset, a challenging mindset, mm -hmm. challenging the status quo. So process get changed. Also technologies that we have get used in the right way. Yeah. Right. And then the combination of all of that is what creates a new value proposition, a new business model that suddenly before we didn't realize we thought it was given and that we couldn't change it. I think this is awesome. But let's let's go let's let's jump from from Electrolux. Was the next step in your career into Ericsson? Or yes, exactly. Yes. So So what what was the transitioning, you know? How did you start in Ericsson? What was that? All? How did that work? Yeah, so and we er moving to Ericsson. Exactly. Lang so now in, in Ericsson, we, we've we've come to um, uh, to manage the digitalization mm -hmm. of, of the group supply organization, right? And um, very similar challenges with a lot of ambition about what needs to be digitalized mm. and digitalization in the sense of the data mm. and how do we make and connect to the whole corporation, the mm. data efforts, our data foundations, and mm. how they have to be connected to each other. And mm. um, building with ambition, of course, along the way to create the foundations to create AI, right? So the experience is by managing the data that I had before, building these applications, data mining, enabling different types of organizations, that's the same approach with innovation, taking into this new role, and into a fantastic company that is constantly thinking of um, technology advantage and how do we actually compete and be continuously be competitive in the market, right? And with um, also very, very number of tools that are extremely the, our, our hand, right? So a lot of legacy, but of course, a lot of opportunities as well to improve and to change. But so, and, and how, how would you frame your role right now? So I'm heading a group, I built a unit, mm -hmm. uh, digitalization in group supply. So mm -hmm. I'm heading head of digitalization there. Mm -hmm. And in group supply, we work very closely um, off on the with, uh, with the business. I'm embedded into the business, mm -hmm. um, which is also a very different approach. And it's quite unique uh, in, in, the, in the field. And not many supply chain organizations have embedded this type of role, right? So it's quite progressive as well, I think, what we are doing. Um, so if I look at the whole Ericsson map, yeah. you're in, for someone who doesn't know Ericsson, it's like we have R&D, we have supply chain, we have the markets uh, exactly. in different ways. So, so we are now in the supply chain part of Ericsson. Exactly. Supply chain, and that's taking care of all the products that mm -hmm. we produced. From... Then from where oh, to where we, we we get it all the way from getting the components or getting material sourcing composed exactly component. uh producing them producing the make, them. and then delivering to the customers right? so, so the the manufacturing plants mm -hmm. of ericsson belongs to supply yes. chain in ericsson speak exactly 
Mm-hmm. So the manufacturing is part of supply chain. It's a full end-to-end mm-hmm. supply chain. Mm-hmm. And so and and then there is of course a very large organization. Ericsson has different areas, mm-hmm. different groups serving the different the customer in different in different parts, different parts of this model. The digital business, the network or hardware business and so on. Yeah, and, and just to give someone a, a very quick overview of Ericsson that doesn't know it. So we have our classical radio-based station business yeah. and where we have evolved this, the standard 3G, 4G into 5G. Yeah. And basically from a supply chain perspective, you still need to su- develop and supply 4G products and now also 5G products. Exactly. And, of so course. You can't st- and actually you need to have... Uh, maintenance SLA for parts. Exactly. Probably not to 2G anymore. Is yeah. that end of life yet? No, it's, I mean, but <laughs> it is. We got now 5G is, the, is, is where we are, right? And that's the future and it's expanding and so. And 6G is coming. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I think the R&D is on 6G now for exactly. since a couple of years back. Exactly. So that is, um, so it is, um, but it's a very large organization, mm-hmm. um, Ericsson, um, with a lot of uh, focus on innovation, mm-hmm. I would say, or technology and technology leadership. Mm-hmm. That's what we keep saying also to the, to the market. But if I now take it then, because now it's, the, so the supply chain digitalization spans, mm-hmm. you know, innovating and 10xing from sourcing to manufacturing to hardcore logistics. Exactly. Of, you know, out yeah. to the exactly. markets. Yeah. So it's, and, and it's a very broad um, perspective, right? And this broad perspective also leads us, for instance, in manufacturing, we have dedicated teams yeah. and a dedicated head of Industry 4.0. So now you can do 5G smart factories on your own, on yourself. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, that's what we have in our factory. I've heard some stories from some of the new factories are super cool in Ericsson. Super, super cool. They are. And of course, I mean, that is evolving into um, a huge, um, especially from the digitalization perspective, right? I mean, getting all of our data together, putting models and start building models and successfully developing some of them. And also learning from failures that we had where we couldn't get it out, that we didn't have enough uh, business um, knowledge or the opportunity and didn't work, right? So over the years, I mean, that is a good thing that we have learned many things. We have tried out many things and yeah, and I think it's, a, it's an evolving, evolving ecosystem, right? But in, the, in this area, when it comes to digitalization, I mean, that, that has been what we've been working quite, quite a lot has been to first our foundation, build, building and taking care of our foundation. And with that foundation, building, paving the way for a transformation where we see AI first. And that's the mentality that we need to go. And would you argue that how far spread is this because we talked about single teams can do mm. something, but how do you cross the chasm? How do you basically get the enterprise mindset all the way? So on this particular uh, expression, AI first, how far has to, where, where do you, would, would you, as Ericsson as a whole, are everybody on board? Do we all, or, or is it something that is sort mm. of, no. you know, how, it, you know, this is really hard, right? Exactly. To ex- to, because even to understand what AI first means, n- yeah. means people need to put a lot of effort to un- even yeah. understand that. And then in large enterprise, of course, everybody cannot be on the same uh, yeah. mm. s- uh, spectrum at the same time. Exactly. Someone is leading the, pa- someone is leading because it's more relevant there yeah. and someone needs to figure it out later. Exactly. And sometimes the, the, the front runners normally is the one 
facing the problems first and fixing that's, it and so on. That's like what that. I mean, right? So, so I who's think, the front runners? Who has the no, AI? I, I will say, I mean, there is there is a broad spectrum in, in Ericsson. Mm-hmm. Towards our customers, we're doing a lot. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my work as well, as well with the teams are to focus on in the internal. How do we actually look and develop the customer? There is, of course, um, a transition where we are very, very much uh, obvious about that. There will be, um, there is a, a, a hope, yes, there is AI first and there is a team building uh, from IT, from us and supply together, building that ecosystem where we say, how are we going to execute AI at scale? How are we going to industrialize AI models? To get a starter first is we start asking the question sometimes when you actually talk about AI first, you actually say, we never start, start with the AI question. You actually start with the business question and then come with how AI then will solve. And for us, it's we, we're going to solve with AI this problem. And sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes we cannot solve it and it's not an AI case. But uh, still we can use technology to solve but, it. But in one way, the way I have imagining what, I, what we really mean when we say AI first has something to do with what we talked about before, mm. that we take the AI competence Mm. next to the business model competence, mm. right in the start of our business strategy, nice. right in the start of our operating model strategy. So for me, it's not AI first that AI comes before the business problem. It it, it goes hand in hand. Mm. So you don't do AI as, as an afterthought. You don't exactly. slap AI on top of an analog process. Exactly. To me, that's mm. what AI first means, that we really need to have mm. data and algorithms at the core and when we devise our strategies yes. to understand how will our strategies play out mm. with AI. Exactly. So if, and if you don't have that competence in the room when you make your strategy, if you don't have that competence in your room when you make operating models, mm. then you're analog first. Yeah. This is so, so this is how I understand AI first. Sometimes I think people misunderstand. Yes, no, no, I, you're, you're fully right. I think it's... Uh, is the connection, right? Yeah. The, and, and, and that is normally in the journey of many different companies. That's actually what you, you need to see and you need to strive for, which is without the competence, knowing what AI can do. Exactly. You don't even are able to imagine a strategy where AI will come first. You yeah. only think you're going to leverage something that is in a box or you're going to buy a product. And, and, and why is this so hard to get across? Because I think it's that simple, right? I, sometimes we draw a Venn, mm-hmm. uh, you can do, you, we love to draw Venn diagrams. Yeah. And you can have like one circle with domain expertise competence. So we are world-class in telco and we know telco industry and the telco business and radio business inside and out. And here now we understand data, AI as another core domain competence. And what happens when we put the Venn diagram together mm. and you start understanding the new company will live in the, in the intersect. Mm. So the new company is the core, right? Mm. Where we, been, we then say, well, it's not like we have business over here and data AI over here. What happens when they live, when the whole company lives in this intersect? How do we then imagine our strategy? How do we then imagine our a supply chain. Exactly. No, and I, I think that is normally is one of the challenges that are easy to say, mm-hmm. of course, and, and we know it. That's, I mean, how we connect it and we know the problem, but execution, it's, it requires a lot of effort. That's where you go into the change management. Right? And, and what, what do you think is the underlying, but why is this so hard and challenging? What, why is this hard? 
first because you didn't have the competences. So they have different lingo. lingo. They don't. They, they don't exactly. understand each other. You don't speak the same language, and no. you normally are coming from a world. Most large organizations, you come from a world of waterfall, mm-hmm. where you ask and you give a demand to somebody, mm. and that demand is fulfilled within a SLA, right? And yeah. um, you're never really working hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So, and it has been a lot like, okay, it's the problem of somebody else that will solve it. That I still need to deliver. I still need to do my process, my own work, right? And that's fair enough. I mean, that's on, that's how it is. But, um, I, and I think that is one of the reasons why it's so difficult because it takes time to build the competences that understand to make this team to work. And then when you have it there, you also want to start, it really needs to be embedded in every single way of to do, yeah. right? And we have a lot of good success stories where one of our organizations just last week released one of the products they make a we make a party and we, we celebrate it. Now we actually, we have created, we're celebrating AI. It's a model, right? And I cannot tell you too much about the model, but it's a model where we help a lot of people to actually do the work and have a lot of more time to do other interesting stuff in the business. So, and that is impossible or very, very much difficult if you didn't have competences, and I call it also digital advisors that actually help the organization understand Yes, some of your demands make sense. Some of what you want to achieve is possible. And here is what needs to happen, right? And then partnered with the com- almost like an account executive inside the company, suggesting all the different ways that we actually can work and utilize data, utilize AI. Mm. And I think it's almost like the design, the setup, the design needs to be solved in that process. And, and actually, I think we are we are in that approach. And so, what you're saying here, the way you design now your organization and your interface, or how you talk about this, <coughs> a lot of your success will boil down to how you understand this. Because if you design this in the wrong way, you will get not a waterfall project, but you will get the waterfall thinking analog first waterfall into the data perspective. Exactly. Yeah, this is. The, um, this is really hard. I I, th- I think another w- reason why this is hard, I test it on you. If you've been in an industry for 50 years, 100 years, Ericsson, or Scania, 100 years, you have, and you have lived in a fairly stable paradigm where you, okay, for, for Scania, it's been, we are world-class in internal combustion engines, ice, right? Or in radio base stations. Do so you have sort of, you have, you have gone to a phase where you, you're pioneering and when you work together with garage style is many, many years ago. And now we started to separate for efficiency, make sense in something that is mature. Mm-hmm. We've been starting to work in, 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 in our different functions. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden when we are sort of, in a new interface where we where this where data AI is completely converging and we need to now rethink this. Mm-hmm. This separation of task between data and AI and business doesn't make any sense again. So here we have an organizational mm-hmm. pattern that was relevant for the mature phase of the analog era mm-hmm. of telco, if I mm-hmm. say it like that. Mm-hmm. And now we need to rethink that uh, when we put data AI into everything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So something here is also why this is, we can mentally say and understand this, but our organizational patterns are uh, the way we have cut mandates, the way we have cut our pro- the design exactly. yeah. makes then us fail before we even start. Exactly, exactly. And it's that design fell or 
the sign for failure, right? <laughs> and or or and, and then to start again, right? So I think, and that's probably one when I talk to to people asking, I mean, like, how should we set up this from the beginning? Yeah, and that's normally the advice I give. I say, you actually need to build it together, mm. because if you don't, then you will end up inevitable into the old ways of working, into demand mm. and supply, supply, and I give you something. And I allocate a budget, and that's only the, the only thing you do, right? So it you is always think on this. Yeah. And how how did you arrive here? Because I'm sure if you go back in your career, ten, fifteen years, you would not have been able to articulate the problem like you do today. Yes, that's absolutely true. So, I remember. So how, do you remember when you started to say this is more important than anything else? How we design cross-functional. Yeah. When, when did that come to you? Well, I, can't, I, I mean, I, I think this was pretty much my DHL times, oh. to be honest. I think DHL is a, such a fantastic company in that sense, the yellow family, <laughs> because <laughs> um, it requires a lot for a company to be as big and to integrate something like you will call legacy, mm-hmm. like the mail services, the post, mm-hmm. together with innovative, groundbreaking logistics, mm-hmm. right? Um, in that in that experience, a lot of the work that we've done was was very typical where I was realizing, okay, you know, you have a lot of things demanding IT to give us and solutions and tools. And okay, I'll create my visualization, I'll code it myself, I realize. Then I realized I'm actually only giving demands to people. And then we had to actually, I remember in that time, there was not enough technology to manage data management. So we're looking at our customer lists and customer IDs, looking at our customers and collaborating with one great guy and one great team to clean it up manually. And how right. fast was that? And how these work? And it was extremely, I mean, it was it was not, it was frustrating at times, right? Because you didn't align. And so that made me think a lot about the need where actually the moment I collaborated in this way, the moment it actually is not rocket science, it's basic organizational design, human behavior, collaboration, right? But sometimes I was put in a position where me and my team and he and his team, we were able to collaborate so closely. We also sit on the same floor, by the way, in, in Deutsche Post. In, so, in all of, Tower. so all of a sudden now, this is you, you see the difference. Why does it work here with this team? And yeah. why doesn't it work over here as efficiently? And exactly. it becomes super simple. It become, and then you realize, well, in that time, I didn't call it cross-functional. No. Let's call it, well, I work really well with them. We understand the language and I come from what I want to achieve in my reports yeah. and what I want to create and the insights and the analysis that I have to do for the CEO yeah. in that time. And it worked really well, but not, it didn't go that well in other aspects. Right? And then you could see the difference. What was the difference in yeah. how we collaborated exactly. in, in our relationships, in our mandate, yeah. and how we were communicating to each other. Yeah. Here, collaborative, same team. Yeah. Cross-functional, you could argue now. We didn't use mm-hmm. that word 10 years ago no, as much. Exactly. And here, supply demand. I want exactly. this from you. Um, you know, And exactly. we are back, uh, me and them. Exactly. And, and that was that. And, and that is when you realize, okay, it's a separate, separate setup of teams, right? Yeah. And then, of course, that I took with me, great experience. And I almost didn't reflect about it too much. I knew it worked better with one team, right? And, and over the years, it's just been then, stronger and stronger. Exactly. And Same then it, for me. Same it for became me. like, okay, this is actually the best way to get it, to get things done. 
right? And then me getting much into the data and AI world, working now in Electrolux, for instance, with IT, working with other functions, with sales, when I was in marketing and so on, with the market units and realizing that when the more problems we had was also when we were more, I give you my demand mm. and you give me something back. If not, I escalate. It changed completely when we completely changed the behavior that this is one team. To, you have the same problem, you have and the same have, goal. Exactly. And, and we made it work. Right, but and and, I, and when you have experienced it, mm. it's such a simple, no rocket scientist, no brainer. Mm. Uh, my guess, uh, my I'm, I'm thinking, wh- why don't why don't everybody see it? Why don't we use go here? Mm. And I think it's one of these things you need to have experienced it, mm. and you need to have made this learning Excellent. to really internalize how important this is. Otherwise, yes. we're gonna end up in uh, this organizational short boxing drawing, and and then. We are optimizing. Oh, we need to optimize for efficiency. We need to optimize our FTE number, mm. and we don't realize. Oh, get, oh my God, you're throwing out the baby with the bathwater here. Yes. <laughs> you're killing. You're yeah. killing the patient. Uh, exactly. Uh, exactly. So, and, and, and that's I think, why. And, and no one. Everybody who has had this similar experience, like you described, I had it very, very similar. Mm-hmm. We in, in our hearts, we want to design the whole company right now in relation to data and AI, with that core principle is one of the most important. Exactly. It's like, and then it becomes a byproduct, right? Then because then everything, all the success that comes, but it needs to start with the design. And and that is where I know and I experience, and probably because I had good experiences and bad experiences, like everything in life. That's why I realized, okay, this is what it works also for me, where I also become more effective, right? and of course, that's what I try to pass on my teams, yeah. right? And, and people that, that I care a lot and I work, I work together with. So, but um, moving a little bit, oh, this is great this discussion. Um, uh, and and to frame it, I, I think uh, it, when we do our minutes, uh, Goran, when we look at the uh, when we look at the 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 topic here, we we've had a, the core topic at this point in time and, and ten minutes before has really been about uh, the cross-functional team and how we really get businesses and IT, you know, to to take away that chasm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a very important topic. But you said something before. You said something that you were quite proud of, that in some ways, the way you have worked with digitalization now in supply chain is a little bit unique. It's a little bit, uh, you use the word embedded. Mm-hmm. Could you please elaborate on how you, what, what what is it that you are thinking about and how do you work your data and digitalization strategy and, and what do you mean with that? Yeah, because <clears throat> I think when, when I mean embedded is that normally it's this demand supply kind of relationship with IT, with legacy systems and how we maintain things, right? Mm-hmm. The smart, I think what is really smart and is, is helping us. I cannot tell that it's everything is goes easy and smooth, right? <laughs> but what it helps us and what it becomes unique is that especially in an organization or in supply chain where there is a lot of relationships between steps into a process. Mm. You have suppliers, you have customers, and in between you have a lot of different logistical chains and and tools and everything that you can use around. Of course, it becomes it becomes a lot easier to actually manipulate and use the data or not use the data, but rely in a core system to do it. So it's very difficult and the innovation that comes comes more as a response in in most of industries, they come as a response of disruption. 
And it's normally true for many, right? But still, it's, um, it's the way that supply chains have been working and managing in different parts of the organization, in different companies. Right? So, so you start following now. We have um, a big part of supply chain. We have a big core system as has been the, the way to sort of get efficiency through the supply chain. Is that sort of where we are coming from? Exactly. And then looking at normally supply chains is around transactions, mm -hmm. right? So you, in all, many different companies is the way that you manage the transactions and the more efficient you are in the managing the transactions, the orders from customers and mm -hmm. how do you deliver those products or in whatever industry you are, it's the same. There's a model, right? That's how supply chains work. Mm. And you optimize, I mean, there's a very old bull book called The Goal that's like a Bible for, for people working in supply <laughs> chain yeah. that, uh, talks about, I mean, how you identify constraints in your in your systems, how you identify constraints in the way we work and so on. So it's kind mm -hmm. of, um, it's, uh, it's a science almost, right? But that is how it works. So what has happened, and I think what also we've been told to be unique in the sense that we have embedded that now supply chain is not anymore about the transactions. It's about, it's, some, it's something more. The way that we're going to figure out what is this more, could be the customer, it could be the uh, the supplier and the integration of these ecosystems where our data is connected is actually through that, through connecting the information together, through creating information models, through creating data that is very well structured, where we design architectural patterns that goes along our organizational patterns, right? And then that is why it's unique. So instead of becoming just a demand organization, you start becoming and really embed the power and the knowledge of what data can do, AI can do, into the actual business decisions. So then when we discuss the specific business decision, then data is not anymore something that, or it should be, or that's the goal that in, doesn't become anything more that is not utilized in the efficient way, but it actually shows and provides multiple scenarios, all right? And so that is the purpose, and that's why it's, it's a bit unique. Many organizations still manage uh, data through supply. But I see it more and more in common. Every time I connect with peers in different industries, there are more and more companies and very large, different size organizations that are thinking in the same way. That but, but best, right? I'm trying to follow. So if, if I put my words on it to see if I connect with you or if I'm completely misunderstanding it, so what you're saying is that in every part of, of a supply chain, you, you have um, uh, steps which are sort of distinct operating models that does something that then goes to the next step in the ecosystem, so to speak. Yes. The value chain of yes. the supply chain, but actually looking at this now as each, as, as an operating model. And now instead of looking at the process and then look at data like this, it sounded like you now look at hardcore architecturally. I mean, like really what, uh, what I'm hearing is domain-driven design, really uh, uh, flipping the business model mm -hmm. to the data model. To Can you express your operating model in code? Yes. Is that what we're talking about yes. here? That you're really, um, when, what you're doing, so instead of having someone else down here, working uh, supporting you know as a supply to this digitalization team is helping translating the whole operating model of this value chain step mm -hmm. into a data model that becomes now we can start understanding 
yeah. architecturally, technically, where, where does this algorithm fit in? in, in you know? yeah, exactly. Yeah, very, so, very good. You, you explained it so well. <laughs> so it's exactly right. You think about any kind of supply chain, it's, it's, a, it's a bunch of isolated processes sometimes. Yeah. Now instead, these processes, they get connected to each other mm -hmm. and they are a flow. That flow is em with embedded AI. We know where AI can help. Exactly. And then we know where and how the data flows. So ideally, the goal for us and for many organizations applying this model is, of course, you will want to have real time. In real time, you want to know where the process, the flow needs to improve exactly. and where and how, uh, who needs to act to do it, right? Without waiting for any kind of change in a core system because it's given to you already. And that is completely changing the way that not only work, the teams work, but also is completely changing the way that the supply chain will work. Because now you will have, because of AI embedded, then we are actually going, and the ambition should be for many companies is to differentiate what the data, and maybe let's say an AI will give you a recommendation of five different options. And now it's embedded into a process. It's not exactly. anymore... Uh, okay, now we have to ask for a change in the process or we need to ask permission if we can actually do this or that. That is the goal where the new future of supply chains are going in all kind of different companies. Yeah, right. and uh, I, it wasn't me who was smart and well articulated uh, to say it like that. It was actually, I stole the words of Mikkel Klingval, who is uh, our CTO and head of R&D in Daredax. Basically, we are working on exactly this topic right now to understand very simple concept in order to understand how we modularize mm -hmm. a, a big value chain, going out of monolithic thinking to data mesh thinking, call it whatever you want, um, we, not, we, we need to start thinking about domain-driven design because what happens now in, in this flow, you have, and we talk about algorithms, of course, mm -hmm. it's very different to work on a sourcing algorithm compared to a, a, a warehouse algorithm, right? Yeah. So here now we need to have the bounded context of information and, and understanding domain-driven design. And then the very simple idea comes. Ultimately, what does it mean when we are, when we are closing the chasm between data, AI, and organization? Mm -hmm. So if I argue now, like here we come from an operating model view, and here now we come from hardcore, something that is expressed in code. And ultimately expressed in code, okay, we do domain-driven design to sort of mm -hmm. separate the different flows in the in supply value chain. So we started thinking, what happens when you look at uh, operational design mm -hmm. or organizational design based on business domain-driven design? So basically you start thinking about your organizational design mm -hmm. to be one-to-one -one with how we have learned to do these things in code. Mm. And what is the value now? Because now all of a sudden we get closer and closer and closer to be able to express our core business and in code. Mm. And when we have when we have imagined how we can understand our business in this vector mm. space, if yeah. I steal Elon Musk, you know, yeah. now we can put AI and we can put algorithms in the different parts. Because yeah. as long as there is you can't if you can't express your operating model or business model in code. Mm. You, it's going to be a hard time to to seamlessly infuse AI everywhere. Exactly. But if you can solve that, mm. which is actually not that hard, because we, from a business system point of view, that's what we do. We do domain-driven design. We do different things exactly. in order to express the, the data model, the business model. So what happens when that 
competence is now transferred into the design of organizations and operating model. And then this merges. Exactly. And that is, I think, that is the source of probably disruption for many industries. This is a huge disruption to understand that. And all all we did now, it's it's very simple because we went from a business Mm know-how and then we dug deep into software engineering know-how and then we flit. What happens if we take normal methodologies for software engineering and apply them back into how we think about how we design business. Exactly. And, and ultimately now, where is the gap? There's no gap left. No, exactly. It's the same. No, it's, it's the same. And, and that's, I mean, you put the example of, of Elon and, and, and Tesla, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that is exactly what exactly. the approach was to create a new value proposition to customers. Exactly. Offering a superior product in that time that everybody else had to catch up with. Yeah. Right, and we have the same examples in many other companies, in many industries, doing exactly the same. Right, the challenge we face in company in bigger organizations is that it's not that easy to to do the the change. No, that's why you need to embed it. You need to embed it because ultimately, I come to the same conclusion. If you if you follow the trajectory, if you say AI first, mm. we have said. I've used the word Daredax, data AI ready. Mm-hmm. And then we have sort of tried to s- summarize this. When are you data and AI ready? So, so data and AI, part of core business, mm-hmm. expressed as code. Mm-hmm. So when you get to a point where data and AI is a, a seamless, natural day of the core business discussion, mm-hmm. yeah. allowing you to express your wor- work as code, yeah. this is sort of a, exactly. a, a state of mind. Because when we start thinking about that, then we need to organize differently. We have the platform teams, okay, we have them in, in, in central CTO teams, mm-hmm. but the embedding means, if I'm in supply chain, of course there is an AI guy next to the supply expert, domain expert, you know, in the line of operation now, because exactly. we are, we are in, in my normal operating flow, there is algorithms that needs to be monitored, tweaked and improved every time. Yeah. So if I put the idea of DevOps yeah. in normal business supply chain operations, which are, it's heavily infused with AI models, yeah. you end up in a, in a team which simply has more facets in the core team. Exactly. It's nothing else. It's nothing, exactly. And that's why we started this about the team, right? Exactly. Because eventually, and, and maybe that's a, this is the great combination when you talk about AI first, the teams and so on, and this, this juncture, because AI stores bec- stops becoming um, a, a, a fancy word. Oh. Stand, people start not thinking, oh, wow, this is too complex. How are we are going to do that right now? Oh. Right now, last week, we had a celebration. And that, we just, I mean, I was so happy to see that the business talking, how great this new capability is now going to be deployed and we're going to use it. And yeah. I've been seeing it so many times over the years when it finally happens, right? That AI is so embedded that people are not afraid and they start trusting because that's the point. I mean, many times when you have talked about AI, ethics in AI and trust, trustful AI and so on, it's all about knowing what it does. Yes. And you know it better when it does, when you have a cross-functional team, you have a partner, you have an advisor next to you that guides you until you are ready to go by yourself, right? And it's a continuous innovation. Yeah, and, and, and so if you think carefully about all the trust issues and all that we have, mm-hmm. to some degree, I could argue, they are a consequence of separating the business and AI people. Exactly. So if you, if you start with the simplest algorithm mm-hmm. and you build it together with a business person, mm-hmm. 
And it's, it's the stupidest, simplest algorithm, and I understand exactly what it does. Mm. It's clear to me. Mm. And then I add something one more time, one more time, one more time. The whole the business person knows the whole time how this has evolved. Exactly. Why would they not have trust? Why would they not understand what has happened, right? Yeah, because and at the end, I mean, what is AI, right? I mean, AI is just automating decisions, I mean, decisions that we humans take in milliseconds. And AI is trying to mimic that, right? So how do you trust a person? That's how you should actually ask the question, right? You yeah. ask the person because you know it, you know it's trustworthy, trustworthy, you know the person will tell you the truth, will give you options, and then you will make a decision based on that, right? But you, ha you, you slipped in an AI definition here that I really liked. Okay. What's the, say that again. How did you define AI? It's actually an automated, it's, say it again. It's, the way, it's, it's very a human, simple. it's a human. Is automating a human mechanism to do things like we normally do as a normal thing, yeah. right? And we drive a car. Just trying to explain this to my daughter yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and you drive a car. You, you move your hands. You work with your legs, and you you do all the mechanic things that you normally mm -hmm. do as a human, right? The AI has been coded and replicated what human would normally do to steer the car and to do different parts parts of this. But what I like is that this is an interesting way of looking at this that I, I, I haven't thought about, but I really like it. Because if, if, you, if, you, if, you, if you take autonomous driving, right? Oh, it's about driving a car, steering a car, you know. Uh, and then it's easy to think about the different mechanisms. But you said something. What you're doing is you're automated the micro decision making that we are doing as a human being. So if we truly understand what driving a car means from a decision science point of view, mm. I need to break it down. Okay, what is happening when I'm driving a car? I'm making milli split second decisions all the time. Should mm. I gas, should I stop? Mm. Should I uh, should I look in the mirror? Should I, you know, what mm. should I do? So, so it's, it's, it's a network of decisions we're doing in microseconds that overall looks like magic, we can drive a car. Exactly. And what we are doing now is, if you think about that, we are automating micro decisions in a system mm -hmm. in order to achieve then uh, the purpose of safe driving. Exactly. And this then, is what we are doing as people, right? And now, that's, that's so, if, yeah. so if you if you take away all the magic here, we we don't even. So in order to come, in order to reach that goal, you don't need to mimic uh, consciousness. No. You need to mimic what are the micro decisions that the human does in order to safely drive a car. Exactly. So so in some ways, demystifying and taking away all the magic here. Yeah, exactly. And, and that is when you start trusting it because you, you realize actually it's mimicking something, it's giving me something that then I can actually spend the time in something else, right? And when we take that exact example of the car, we take it to a process of supply chain yeah. or a process of marketing or a process of sales, even how you sell something in a grocery store, there is where the micro decisions happen. Yes. There are some things that AI now is capable of doing. Mm -hmm. Perhaps there are other things that still need to take us more time, because it's more complex and so on. And then I think where, where we are going is more into connecting all these different AIs and make them work together. And, and maybe, and, and so maybe this is, you know, how, how do we understand uh, uh, narrow AI versus uh, general AI. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and one argument is that 
I've been thinking about this. I don't. I, I have no scientific uh, uh, position on this at all. But but I'm sometimes imagining what if what we perceive as general AI mm-hmm. is used to a huge mesh of super small narrow AIs working super efficiently together. Yes, exactly. Do so. so what, what is it really that we need? I mean, like maybe maybe it's this. It's the parts of super narrow AI that is super good at super micro small microscopic tasks mm-hmm. and then it's the meshing yes. of, of uh, you know of combining it, uh, it yeah. really b- uh, blazingly fast and exactly. different things yeah, yeah. And, and, and then it comes again I mean we got the topic of organizational design and patterns right mm-hmm. so imagine when we get the point to many organizations are able to make these connections that also means that across an organization and across geographies, you need to be able to have a lot of people that understand. It's not just a few people in the headquarters that no. understand the connection, but it's a lot of more people. Yeah. That's when it's embedded into our way of working. Because if it doesn't become something hype anymore, it becomes something that you actually can co-create. You even somewhere in the US or in India or in China, you actually can change the network adapted by yourself, right? And you co-create and you create this mesh kind of concept, right? Uh, but that is why organizations, I, I think this is probably not only valid for supply chain, this is valid for so many different types of industries where you need to create this type of competences and let these competences be very close to the business. So then you actually can together at the end of the day, cross-functionally create the disruption that every single business will face and faces constantly. Uh, me, me and Mikael, uh, when we uh, su- um, prepared the Data Innovation Summit keynote this uh, spring, w- when you start thinking about this and you and, and you, you start understanding, well, okay, if this is a mesh, okay, if there are domains, uh, micro processes, microservices, micro algorithms everywhere, everything is connected. Mm-hmm. We have the possibility to do everything. Mm-hmm. Now to get here and to capitalize on that, we started to understand and, and brainstorm and visualize how does uh, leadership and middle, middle management change? You know, what type of roles do we need? How do we need to act on this? Mm-hmm. And we, we basically try to frame it and define it as there's some new roles in, in this that we need to have that doesn't really exist in, in normal corporations today. And we, we frame the words, we need the people who can work as orchestrators. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know, we haven't been used to working in cross-functional team. And how, so how can we orchestrate for value mm-hmm. from the supply chain, mm-hmm. the workflow to the algorithm, to the data? There's mm-hmm. an orchestration problem. Yeah. Then we need federators. Mm-hmm. So if we do these algorithms and everything, how can we start putting them in a mesh so they become harvestable and reusable? Mm-hmm. So now we're doing Metcalf law, right? So how, yeah. we, how do we achieve network effects? Yeah. How do we avoid orphan analytics that this algorithm can only be used here, mm-hmm. but how can we get network effects? So this is now, then you need to federate what is happening one part of the organization so it can be used as a big graph, exactly. imagining graph. Exactly. And then we realize that the, the next level of problem becomes when everything is connected, uh, we can potentially do anything and now we, well, now we need to start navigating the opportunity landscape. So now it's a little bit like, oh, we could do, imagine like 10 years down, everything is connected, we could do anything. Mm-hmm. Now it's the choice. Mm-hmm. Which problem is useful 
to solve and therefore which microservices or algorithms are useful to connect. Exactly. So we, we get to some sort of different type of problem mm -hmm. that has to do with orchestration, federation and navigation mm -hmm. when everything is connected and exactly. when this mesh truly yeah. exists, right? So and this is a little bit changing to the yeah. traditional line manager. I agree. And, and I think also, I mean, the question maybe many companies should be asking themselves is do, do they have the, do they have the chance to actually do that already when there is there, when the mesh is there? No, right? You, you actually need to prepare for that. You actually need to build it. You actually need to be have these competences and build it across. Because it's a little bit like lighting up a massive graph. Mm. You need to, of course, you don't have all the nodes at, at the beginning, but you need to have a fundamental idea that I'm node by node building a mesh. Node mm -hmm. by node, this is, I'm doing something that creates value here and now, but it's at the same time increasing my data AI DNA. It's, it's growing the mesh. Exactly. And so this, this means that some people at least needs to be ahead of the game. Yeah. I mean, like you, you get to these different phases. Yeah. We need to excite people to get, to get going on this journey. Yes. Then we need to explore and really learn how it's supposed to be done. And then when we start nailing it down, we need to expand on that investment and go in this direction. Exactly. And then ultimately, extracting value and capitalizing on it. Of so, yeah. but, it, but it's quite challenging, right? Because it, it's not like you need to be a, a huge investment upfront to have the whole mesh, but you need to strategically start investing mm. in this direction, I think. Exactly. No, yeah, obviously, because I mean, again, back to the disruption, right? I mm. mean, when you don't do that, and if you are not prepared, then you are not there. That's, that, people should see it as drastic as that, right? And mm. Some industries allows you for the level of capital that you have and so that, yes, you can adapt later on. But uh, normally it's not really the case. So it, um, but it's a fascinating, it's, it's fascinating. What I really like it is when we put these type of concepts that we've been talking in this, in our industry, data and yeah. AI and how do we deploy it and how do we become efficient and so now we are getting into this stage of it's not only the data and the AI and the analytics that we put, it's actually how the organization is designed That's to the, make it work, right? Okay, you're, 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 I think this is mm -hmm. the real problem in, in many ways. I mean, like, for me, that has been my, uh, int I, I think that's, that's what I have tried to wrap my head around for years now. And that has been my sort of uh, real, um, yeah, focus, because I think that's where it ends up that it, we, you know, we, we're not going to get further by only throwing more tech on this. Mm. We need to understand how we organize the tech, but more importantly, not how we organize the tech, but how we fundamentally organize and design our teams and business mm. in order to be data AI ready, in order to receive it or exactly. embed it. Exactly. That, that's to me is the real game changer in many yeah. industries. Yeah. And if you nail that, your chances of succeeding in the AI or data journey dramatically increases. Yeah, I because, would agree. Because then you know, even if you fail in certain areas, you still have the competences, you still have that opportunity landscape that keeps opening up more and more and more. It's in your DNA, right? So I really like what you say. There. But, uh, but I, uh, we, we, we take it afterwards, but it's really like going into the left or the right door. So you are you setting yourself up 
on the trajectory to fail before you started, or you setting yourself up to basically, okay, fundamentally we are on the right path. We will fail in micro, we will fail, we will stumble for sure. But it's like, it's this fundamental game changer that we are, we are on a trajectory that, that is sort of taking us forward. Exactly. And I think that's, that's absolutely, and that's the type of mindset that leaders, people, anybody working on the field need to really understand. Yeah. And, and here I think it's also then, if you are not exposed to data and AI, it's very hard to see this difference what you and me are talking about now. Mm. So I think also here, the industry, me and you in our roles have been failing because we have mm. not been good enough mm. to take this conversation on the organizational design yeah. in, in, in such a way so it really connects and they are changing. Exactly. It has been a lot of tech discussion, right? This, even mm. I, I can really look at myself and I'm, I can see this. I, I have taken a lot of tech discussions thinking I, w I was having a business discussion when I wasn't really. No, exactly. No, <laughs> I, I fully, and, and that's also you learn by yeah, yeah. experience, right? Because um, and normally sometimes when I normally I talk to my data scientists, to my data advisors, and they, I mean, they, they, we always come to that conclusion, right? We're talking a lot about the type of algorithm that we're going to create. And then you realize we are, people will not We love it, it's fun, yeah. and we, and, but it's like, we forget that we are talking from our domain perspective exactly. and we need yeah. to first have empathy with the business domain perspective and start yeah. there. You know. Exactly. Uh, and they have other problems. They have to day to day deliver. I mean, they have so many other things. Yes. And I think that is the tricky part. And that's probably the, the area where, where to succeed is to embed it so much yes. that everybody starts thinking in these two directions, right? And it becomes a natural yeah. cycle. Yeah. How do you build but, but let's spend a couple of minutes. Uh, this is super good. Uh, I, I love this conversation. I'm not sure the listeners love it, but for me, this is so many <laughs> learnings right now. But I'm, I'm a little bit curious. Could you go a little bit practical with us on how have you sort of your uh, tech stack and your thinking about your technology set up uh, and, and how you're working more practically? Uh, how has that evolved the last couple of years? You know, so how are you setting it up? Because you said it, mm -hmm. we need to design the teams and all that, mm -hmm. but it depends also on how your technology is set up and how you're thinking exactly. about these topics. Yeah. So, and I think we've we've gone and we try different things. Yeah. Um, a few of the things that we are now, I would say that has been really the differentiator and the way to push and also to to get the change going, is not only to have. Um, technical team that collaborates and works very closely with, with IT to embed the right technologies. Then we start talking about creating data products. Mm -hmm. uh, we're the first ones out creating and working with, with, with IT to, to get the data products live in a marketplace and so, but that's not enough, right? So then, and the same with AI, a lot of AI models, data scientists in our AI ex execution team working and designing and industrializing some of them and solving what are the type of problems we have. But that's one area, right? The, the other area is actually what I call digital advisors, right? So we, we created this kind of role where we say, look, in the beginning we didn't have, in the beginning we have very different profiles that all still are relevant from business analysts, from agile coaches and so on. But we realized we need actually something more business related that can talk tech, that can talk um, business. 
and that can make sense to a business and that business language can make sense to somebody who is going to listen why this is so important right that is the role that we created the digital advisors or digital partners right it's very senior people with a lot of experience either in the data field lead data scientists some of them from before or in the business or a combination of both right um that i think has been one of the greatest successes we've been having because it has actually addressed the problem of change management it has actually addressed the problem of not getting enough out of the the data that we're getting because now we're talking about value now we're talking about okay this is the not the value realization but this is the adoption that we're going to make and so and i'm not sure if we were the first ones creating this concept but i kind of still from pride from more a lot of tech industries and what you normally call the account executive right you have a self executive that takes care of the account for us the account is one of our business units and these business units this the digital advisor understands all the different pains understands what you want to solve where the process you're going to stock and then goes back to the team and say okay now this is the technology this is the opportunity we can find and then of course once we try it then we can industrialize it that model i, I really believe on and i think now is paying off a lot what we've doing because i think i i fully understand what you're saying because this is also a challenge because you're in a global context because you can argue we can embed things and we can have close uh, we can be close to the teams we said that mm-hmm. then you have the next problem how am i close to a business unit in peru right yeah. and here all of a sudden now we need to now start identifying the data opportunity or the digital opportunity together with them to get them yeah. excited and to yeah. really solve the problem worth solving to the individual business unit mm. so even if you have a lot of good stuff what they need in germany versus uh, like a like a core market versus what they need in in a you know emerging market in africa might be very very different right exactly yeah. no it is uh, not only they need different but they also need a different speed yeah. uh, they have different landscape sometimes different tools and stuff so, th- so of course all of that needs to be put into the context right so that's why it's so important and also some practical problem of course i mean if you were realistic about organizations you're never going to if you want to embed something you know, if you have an analyst a business person working Mm-hmm. the same supply chain lingo a planner right you're never going to hire as many data scientists to talk, to work with a planner right so you need to have some kind of a mechanism to be very efficient as well produce a lot develop a lot that's something that makes sense and helps the business and and that's where this role of digital advisors becomes so so important for us and it's paying off paying a lot quite a big deal i would say Should we stay more on Ericsson or should we move over to some more um, themes like more general topics and philosophical topics? Wow, I love philosophy. So <laughs> no because we the, the, we we had prepared a couple of different themes to to discuss mm-hmm. today. And I think it's there's a segue here mm-hmm. from the digital advisor role in the conversation we had now mm-hmm. to one of the themes we talked about uh, discussing. And And when me and Anders have been talking about this with many guests, we, we, we put sort of the label on this, uh, the AI divide. Mm-hmm. And we are sort of, you can, you can, you can now, ex- you can now explore this topic on macro level. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we think there are tech giants that are on a completely different 
trajectory and maturity when it comes to AI mm-hmm. versus the rest of the world. And, you know, is it good? Is that good or bad? You know, this is the sort of macro perspective. And then we, we can discuss countries mm-hmm. and regions, you know, are, are we falling behind in Sweden on AI compared to China or US, yeah. you know, and this now is the divide between the, the front runners and the rest of the world. And what, what is the consequence and impact and danger? So it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Then there's another way of looking at the AI divide. Mm-hmm. And that is going into a, a, a large organization mm-hmm. and understanding on a micro level, the divide between the front runners, so to speak, or maybe even the people working within data and AI who have sort of seen the light. I mean, like me and you, we sit here, ah, oh, yeah. this is the new <laughs> algorithmic enterprise, yeah. you know, and we are excited and for us, let's mm. go, let's design this company and make our business into code, right? Mm. And then, of course, if you haven't been exposed to data and AI mm. in your normal business life, Mm. You, you don't have the same starting point in this conversation. Mm. So here we have a divide on micro level. Mm. And I now want to connect it all back to what you've been really passionate about. With You used the word digital inclusion. Yeah. Mm. So, f- so for me, what we're doing here when we're get getting, getting digital advisor, we're, we're working slowly and steadily to, mm. to take away this chasm, to basically make sure we're all on the same team. We're, all, we're on the same page here. So this was my setup on the AI divide, yeah. moving into digital inclusion. And, yeah. and I just want to hear your five cents on yeah. you know, this setup. You can take it any way you want. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I mean, when you think about it, I mean, the example you put, right, companies, yeah. tech companies building and being so hard, so high, different ahead of the rest and yeah. differentiating. The question I ask myself is why? Is it the technology they're using, right? They are inventing something new, right? Who is doing that? The people, right? And so they are getting um, the talent that is wants to do more things and wants to explore and innovate and have the mindset so they can strive. Um, and I think, I mean, when, when we recruit and we look at different profiles, there is always this differentiation that there are some more industries and more companies where a lot of resources are located there are others where they're not others where it's a lot more difficult to get right and that i constantly is a constant worry i have to be honest because i think when we talk about organization we also talk about generations exposure to technology and sometimes that exposure on loan is the one that generates the opportunity, the mindset that yes, something actually could be done differently. And there is a divide being built in the world. And also when, when you also look about how much code kids are being teach in school, some countries are doing that very, very Way early, early. a lot earlier. Not everywhere. Other countries don't even touch it in until you go to high degree education, right? And that is very dangerous for how the world will and, and shift. Wh- and how do you, why is this a problem? Why do you think it's dangerous? It's dangerous because you start concentrating. I mean, we talk about, some years ago, we talked about data as being the new oil, right? Then the way that you use and the insight that you generate to be competitive in the market is the source of that. So, and that's the insight is the one that actually generates that kind of 
competitiveness. So more countries, more companies with that type of embedded and mindset and that type of talent, they have, you have more of that, you will have, again, more chances to be more competitive and become more dominant in a certain area, right? When it's so imbalanced, when the opportunities are not the same, uh, not only that resources and talent becomes really scarce, but also you create, you, we are, the risk of creating the conditions for having a huge divide where there is a very different way of looking at the world where people are completely, and there is always early adopters of every technology and so on, but there are people that are running because what it's new age of industry 4.0 and data and technology has shown us from the, the 2000s is that you can run a lot, a lot faster, right? The curve is not anymore a very steady curve. It's just like goes like this. So without the talent, without starting very, very early, every country actually investing really heavily in teaching and showing this to the generations and new and old, it creates and has the potential to actually disrupt the way that we live. And I'm, I, I hope we're not going to get into that, but that's why I think we actually have to invest. We actually have to teach yeah. and get, and not only and, and females as well in the tech industry and, and kids and young girls. And, and so get into, into this business because you actually need to have all type of cultures, points of view, to be able to actually build something that represents what humans is, right? And that's back to what we discussed some time ago. If AI is a representation of human behavior or human actions and human millisecond decisions, then... It needs to be a fair it needs to be a population a representation. Exactly. Otherwise, only one, one, one type of people will only do it. And that's the risk, is the bias, right? And there is a lot of more expert people that can talk about bias and and the ethics in AI. But that is one of the consequences that could happen and will happen more if you don't embed but, but, uh, it. Uh, okay, let, let me... One of the reasons on missions, what, 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 I, I coined the company, I founded Daredax. And Daredax is data AI ready. Dux is Latin for guide. And very much, you know, doing my own igikai, trying to mm -hmm. find my purpose in life, I realized that you know, one of the bubbles when you're trying to sort out what you're good at, what does society need, you know, what, what can you actually sell to make a living on. It's a societal topic here. For me, it has been this around how problematic it is if we don't have digital inclusion or data and AI inclusion. Mm -hmm. And and I think you're nailing that down really well. So for me, the, the core problem of the AI and data divide is fundamentally if we don't have inclusion, if we don't have diversity in the way the world evolves, it's mm -hmm. going to be very, very problematic. And, and, and one very simple macroeconomic problem here is that imagine we having the workforce of a whole country. Mm -hmm. And then I put two different scenarios in front of you. Imagine that whole workforce of that country mm. is disrupted from the outside by five companies. Mm. Three that has uh, AI for greed as their motto, two that has AI for control as their motto. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. On the other side, I put a scenario where we must disrupt ourselves. From the individual that realizes that I have so much opportunity in the AI world, not maybe in exactly the job I was doing, because mm-hmm. that is typically the type of job an AI could do. But if I educate myself, if I'm willing to disrupt myself, mm-hmm. I can find a fantastic career. Mm-hmm. And then I take that from individual level mm-hmm. to organizational level mm-hmm. to regional level. Exactly. And all of a sudden I put the scenario, what do you think is the impact on the Swedish economy if we manage to disrupt ourselves mm-hmm. versus we were disrupted by one of the 10? Yeah. What's the difference here? It's, I, I think mm-hmm. this can be a very prosperous way forward. Mm-hmm. This we will have a lot of heavy, you know, because you, you, instead of a positive spiral, it becomes a negative spiral, exactly. you know, with unemployment and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So I think this is very, very important that we understand yeah. early. Exactly. And that's the, the thing is that, I mean, even we talk about the industrial revolutions, right? So yeah. before it used to happen uh, in a more steady pace. Mm-hmm. Right, we knew it was going to take many, many years. Yeah, we and could see them even. We can see the exactly. shift exactly, and then you see it. And then, but this revolution is different because it's happening so fast. And if you're out a few years into this area, you lose. You don't know anymore because there is new. In our, even in our area, you need to be keep getting to know all the data, all the algorithms that are new and technologies and so on. Imagine if somebody has not even started, right? And and that is, that's why I think it's so important. And we need to put a lot more effort. And I I think it should be mandatory. Too. Yeah, and and, yeah. and and what 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 in in one one way pushes me harder, but also scares me, is that w- when we had uh, guests on this podcast, I have examples of Lars uh, Albert Albertson Elale, who worked at Spotify, who worked at Google. And who is successfully really really understanding industrialization of data, right? Yeah. And what, you know how does you know looking at the inside of the data factory, so to speak. Yeah. And he, and if you listen to his podcast, you know the main argument he has is like, if you haven't worked at Google, mm-hmm. if you haven't worked in one of these companies on the inside and on these core things. It's really hard to understand how much further ahead they are in understanding how to industrialize the core mechanisms of treating data and managing data. Exactly. The, the core mechanics, right? That yeah. means data becomes productized, that you can use mm. it for anything, right? The way you treat data from the start, the mm. way you have APIs, everything can be used for, by anyone mm. in a company like Google. And his, yeah. his argument is a little bit like, you know, even when I try to explain it, even, you know, it does not make sense if you haven't really understood it. This is how far away they are in in terms of the base, getting the basics right. Exactly. And now when they can get the basics right, mm. they can point that opportunity on anything they want. Exactly. Yeah, and exactly. we don't under, and, and this, and, and how to make this wake up call, right? Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, we are also part of this traditional ecosystem, right? Imagine, I mean, you go to school, you learn over numerous years, many different things, you're ready to be in the workforce, you find a job and you learn something new and then you have the time. We always assume we have the time to learn. Mm-hmm. Soon, that will not be the case, right? So not only because it, more, it becomes more competitive, but it's um, a differentiator for companies and for c- countries. To be competitive, you need to be digital. Right. 
But uh, okay, and, and now if because if we now break this down then from the macro level and now and and let's now be way more concrete and and there's something that we all can touch and we can deal and we can take steps tomorrow in our in our work mm. so we can look at the ai divide on the micro level because ultimately if you want a society to change mm. the change start with the people changing right exactly. a society ultimately yeah. is made up of people. All people it's all about people if it's an individual in an organization if it's a politician mm. So here we now come to what are co- fundamental, simple concepts that help us close this chasm. Because I now argue that in any logic organization that has state and AI as part of the agenda, like Ericsson has, of course, there are many quite super brilliant people who kind of understand this. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where I find really interesting to connect it back to the digital advisor role and you know what are the mechanisms, what are the things we are doing or could be doing tomorrow mm. that starts nudging away at this chasm. Because I don't think it's a, it's not a flick of the switch and then everybody understands it, right? Exactly. It's, it's a nudging game we're into, exactly. right? Yeah. Is that so, com- and yeah. this is why where th- th- this role comes in uh, mechanisms like this designs like that you exactly. know what are you thinking How, you know no and, and and that's a lot of the of the thinking right it's not just to collect demands it, it's actually is to really make through change because that's education right because that when you have a digital advisor and you this needs to be senior guys right and senior. they, they have, have this and because they are coming into a room with senior leaders business guys mm-hmm. and in one way they are collecting demands mm-hmm. But at the same time, the agenda is to do it in such a way so it excites. Exactly. And by doing that, you need to educate. Exactly. So, it, so the whole process of collecting demands is also the Trojan horse for education, is my exactly. idea. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a lot of the, of the point. And with, with, with all respect, I mean, you need to actually show the opportunities mm-hmm. and not only show what is already done, but it's what is possible and open the discussion, right? Because mm-hmm. when you open it and you have this constructive kind of relationship and you build this type of relationship through the work that the advisors are doing, then then actually the, you start realizing the change when the business is the one asking. The business person now starts realizing, you know, I have an idea now. Now I think, I think this process, we could use this. Do you think it's a great idea? It might not be, but we tell, yes, of course. And now we start looking because that's when you're already saying you start changing the mindset, right? And 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 we be using we're having a deep conversation right, right now in Scania. I'm not going to name any names, but we think a, a, one way of looking at this is how do I have digital advisor? How do we do data opportunities mm. that creates pool mm. instead of having trying to push out? tech or push out data science, right? Yes. So then, and if you want to create pool, it, because the whole the whole change game becomes different because all of a sudden when your AI initiative is mm-hmm. on the highest of the business case agenda of the of the business user out there, mm-hmm. he will drive the change home because he exactly. wanted it. Exactly. He said that was more important. It wasn't, yes. it wasn't some sort of head office no. initiative. Exactly. So, so we are now dealing with the topic and I'm, in my opinion, mm-hmm. The digital advisor has the job not to collect demand, mm. but ultimately to create demand and create pull exactly. and therefore having a, diff- a change readiness that is completely different to when you're exactly. trying to push something yes. out. Exactly. Would that be a fair Th- That is exactly the point. And then, of course, I mean, there is very senior people and very humble. They know huge knowledge on our core business and knowledge in the technology. 
that's the type of person that will be this this go-to person. Like now, I have a question. That's the satisfaction we get. But now we say somebody in the business has a question. How do I do this? These guys and these ladies, they, they fix it. Trusted right? advisor. They trust the advisor. Then you trust the AI yeah. because that's the representation. You're saying okay, now actually it makes sense because he or she has actually explained, explained that to me, and then and now I know how to run my business through that. Right. So yeah, it's um. Yeah. But, but inclusion is key and the way to work on it, we can discuss the macro level and then we can have discussions on investment on poli- with politicians. But in reality, if we all focus on the micro chasm and start figuring out the mechanisms like, like you have done in Ericsson, yeah. uh, stuff like this is what we need. That's what makes a bit uh, the difference. That's how we move the needle. That's, like that's the how we move the needle in reality. Normally tell that, right? That's, move that, the needle. That's how we move the needle. Because... Yeah. It pays off and it's paying off for us already. Yeah. So um, highly, highly recommend and happy to f- connect with these guys because they are extremely yeah. good. Uh, now I might uh, take you up on that because mm. we, are, we, are, we are very much in the same global problem. How do I create pool yeah. out of Mexico? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, let's take another core theme here uh, that I think is quite interesting. Yeah. And it has all to do with the world evolving right now. And we actually came into it to some degree when we started using the word mesh. And Mm. because I think you can expand on that topic quite a bit. So if we start thinking about the future, and I've seen it very clearly Mm. uh, coming, working in the energy industry before, Mm -hmm. now working in in the transportation industry. And I think telco is a good example here. So what, what I understand is that the world is moving more and more into ecosystem thinking. Yes. And, and the, the very concrete example that sort of blew my head off 10 years ago in, in, in Vattenfall was traditionally you had an energy value chain where you had a large capacity power plant that was producing energy, first step of the value chain. And then you take that production and you put that to the, to the grid and then you, you know, to push it, you know, to, to, to create energy that is available in the grid. Mm-hmm. And the way it works is like the, the production value chain, PNL ends there by selling the production to a node pool. Mm-hmm. So the next step of the, of the value chain in an energy value chain is, uh, is um, trading this. And then you have the whole network and how we get the grids to work. And then you have retail. And then in the end, you have someone using the energy Mm -hmm. B2B to create steel or to to do mining or to do manufacturing or whatever, Mm -hmm. or consumer. And the core realization was uh, when we started doing renewables that all Mm -hmm. of a sudden we have people putting solar panels uh, on their rooftops. And all of a sudden we have a producer consumer. Mm-hmm. We have a prosumer. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden this sort of linear uh, one way value chain starts breaking up in yeah. different actors. Mm-hmm. And we start realizing new actors like uh, Tibber as a retailer mm-hmm. are basically st- starting to look at different models. So within this ecosystem of the energy industry, mm-hmm. there is a fundamental flow of electrons that needs to happen. And Mm -hmm. it is fun on balancing of electrons. This is the physical Mm -hmm. representation of the ecosystem Mm -hmm. from from wherever is, and now the renewable, we have decentralized production. We don't have big uh, one nuclear power plant or whatever. We have many wind parks, we have many different parts and it will use grow. Mm -hmm. Then you get to 
flow of value. So when I have, you know, so the electrons and the electricity bill, what I have paid at home is one thing, mm-hmm. but ultimately now when we have super high energy prices, mm-hmm. I'm more interested in what I can do to minimize my energy consumption. So all of a sudden I, there is the fundamental, how do I, you know, there's a service, there's something else here. There's another mm-hmm. flow of value. So I pay this spot price for my electrons, but ultimately my real value is to get my bill down. And if someone can get my bill down with 30% just by being smarter, mm-hmm. I'm all for it. Yeah. So here now we have this ecosystem thinking. And the way I understand this now, in order for this to flow in real time, if you want to balance a grid, if you want to balance a, a telco uh, network, network. Mm-hmm. same, right? And you want to monetize, you want to maximize your ARPU, mm-hmm. and you have the, all these different players, you have all these different, you know, the, the, the whole thing is converging between internet and all that ecosystem. And everything is ultimately fueled by an underlying data mm-hmm. and algorithms. This is this is the world I'm seeing, and when we go to the transport ecosystem, and you start not seeing Scania as a truck manufacturer, mm. but an actor in the transport ecosystem, where ultimately mm. I want to move goods, yep. story points for moving goods. You know, yep. it it really for me moves the whole thinking to mesh thinking. Yes. It really becomes now modularized, distributed, because the decentralization is not only within your own company. Mm. It, it actually needs, some of your data over here needs to be part of the data that you monetize in this service that someone else has. Exactly. It's, it's, it's meshed, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Do you, you know, so, so mm. how do you, from Ericsson, and, and, and mm. how do you understand the world? Uh, you know, because I think the telco mm. industry to some degree has been in this ecosystem thinking with roaming and everything. Of course. Longer than most industries. Exactly. Yeah, and then, and then Probably that's why also in all kind of rankings also with the telecom industry is the one that highlights the more going through a lot of the technology, breaking the technology barriers, yes. right? Because, because of that ecosystem, right? Maybe I can give you more an example. Like, I mean, I mean the way that we think in terms of, 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 of data and the supply chain as well, right? Because it's very, very similar approach. I mean, we talk a lot about ecosystem and that for us also means now supplier, right? The supplier that that was only a supplier and how the supplier will actually interact with us and then the customer and uh, how the customer eventually in the future because of the business disruptions will be monetizing and this are working in different areas of with our data and we of course therefore also need to monetize our information or data towards them um the key for all of this is the what i mean typically we call integration right because all the challenge that i see is that Again, there are many companies that are going ahead that are designing this because they know that is the, the path. Others that are thinking, no, this is not actually, there, there is no really an understanding that an ecosystem is the future or the very near future in some cases. Therefore, they have not prepared yet the capabilities to develop that integration between different nodes of this mesh network. Yeah, right? and, and, and I like, let's, I try. I think one of the key fundamental capabilities mm. that also Telco knows well all about is interoperability. It is. Yeah. And if I take the learning from the Telco ecosystem, take me back to the 3G world when we had CDMA, mm. we had like we had all these different standards for the protocol of how we were sending, how, we, how our networks were, were, were organized. Yeah. 
And all of a sudden, in the end, to really get to where we are today, we had to standardize towards LTE. And we had to fundamentally take a fundamental consortium understanding on, on, on some sort of level to secure interoperability. Yeah. And I think, because if you, if you, that's why I think the mesh thinking and to, to say product is so, so important because it, if you, it forces you to think, how can my data be consumed by someone else exactly. actually? And how can it be trusted? So I don't even know what they're going to do with this data. Yeah. So it has to have an SLA and SLO so it mm -hmm. can be bought and then they can trust my data in order to use it in their service. Exactly. Yeah. And here we have interoperability standards. We have these fundamental integration standards that can't be sort of proprietary anymore. No, exactly. No, is the uh, or uh, I'm, this is I'm extrapolating yeah. where this goes. No, but I, I think I think you're right, and I think it's um, it's also the I mean I, I would say it also in a, in a maybe in a, in a different way. So if one way or the other it's going to happen that, or you need to be so well connected, needs to be so well integrated that um, you need to actually be forced, you need to be in, you need to enable that network to happen. Yeah. Because you want to consume data, you want to sell the data. But imagine if you're not mm. part of the network, are you even relevant? No. But, and, and, yeah. and, and yeah. because the point is, in the past, we could be part of the network in an analog way. Yeah. Right, and we could do something, and we could collaborate. But when the hygiene factor is, is real time, mm -hmm. share, you know, using your data in order to because my service I'm selling to the customer over here is in real time, mm -hmm. so I need now your data to do my part to that customer in real time. Mm -hmm. And here now we get to the fundamental is something else. Yeah. You know, so th that means you need to really think carefully. What's your input port, output port? <laughs> you know, exactly. how, how do you really yeah. make it? What's your API to reach this? Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, even in a very high level concept, I mean, isn't it that the reason why <coughs> people are going or companies want to be in the metaverse? Because you cannot, if you're not there, you not exist, right? Similar in a network, if you're not part of that, you're not prepared to have the capabilities to connect to that network. What uh, what kind of business model you're gonna disrupt? You're gonna just be disrupted all the time, right? So so we're getting to a point where how can you be part of the new economy if you're an orphan in relation to no one can digitally connect to you and to your data? Exactly. Yeah, and if you make it, I mean, there are reasons why you need to be protected. Of course, mm -hmm. there's a lot of uh, security aspects yeah, yeah. and so on that that's um, super understandable, but. You don't, and you cannot become an island, right? Very risky. So, it's, it's, so the, the biggest risk is to become an island here. Yeah. Is that what you mean? And, and also goes a lot together with the talent pool, right? So, I mean, imagine how many now talent working in data and AI, building these things. Would they look at a company that doesn't uh, offer, offer this possibility to explore new things and to have opportunities in that area? No, right? So... It is becoming an island is basically you don't exist in the network, you're out of the node, then it will be slow goodbye, unless you really work hard to be part of it and to shape it better than to shape it than to be shaped. And, and because if the world and industries are moving into ecosystem thinking, you need to understand yourself as an actor in an ecosystem. 
And then, of course, you can decide and think about which role or which type of actor am I going to be? Am I going to be the platform? Am I going to be the at the node? Am I going to be at the center? Yeah. But all that falls apart if you can't uh, interact and participate as an actor. Excellent. And the, the core participation we're talking about mm. is data and AI Excellent. transactions flowing. Exactly. And it's that capability to continuously even be ahead of the curve yeah. and to shape it. Right? So it, it's, um, it is, but I see the same, I see the world very similar to you where this yeah. is going. No, and some degree you might say it's scary. Uh -huh. Where are we going? To another degree is actually some of us fascin fascinating, fascinating because that's the new, this new reality, yeah, yeah. right? And all the opportunities that we have ahead are just enormous, right? And now we're ending up on the, on the last sort of more philosophical question, sort of rounding up here yeah. after over more than two hours. <laughs> so would you call yourself summarizing this as a tech optimist or, you know, do you, are you a tech optimist or are you, are you scared of, because all this stuff is in some ways scary, right? And yeah. then we can think about all the stuff you, you mentioned a little bit. When we open up into the network thinking, oh my God, how are we going to deal with security? Yeah. <laughs> how are we going to deal with GDPR? Yeah. How are we going to deal with the AI Act? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so ultimately, are you tech? Are you an optimist? I'm, I'm or an optimist, you're an definitely. Optimist? And I prefer to have the challenge. Yeah. And I prefer to face it. And I prefer to, and I think we all need to have that type of mentality. Otherwise, the opportunity disappears, yeah. right? So um, you see this as exciting and rather than scary. I say it exciting, but I understand <laughs> there are many people who find it scary. And yeah. that's the people that we need to bridge yeah, the gap yeah. of digital inclusion. Yeah. Right. I love that uh, wrap up. We need to do the digital inclusion to get to bridge and help who is the people who are scared to be excited and to okay. be part of the journey. Yeah. We all need to be part of the journey. We are, exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, last questions. Um, if you were going to print a t-shirt out of what we talked about today, or, you know, what, what are the key sort of t-shirt uh, quotes or something we said today that you sort of stuck, stuck with you from today? Then what are the key pullouts? You know what I really like about our team discussion? Team is everything. Right. That's one t-shirt, right? It's one t-shirt. It's, it's by itself, by itself. <laughs> it's the most important. Um, uh, and I think also, I, don't know, I mean, the ecosystem, when also you talk about micro level, right? Mm -hmm. The ecosystem is also this cross-functional team yeah. that makes it happen, yeah. right? Um, digital advisor, I hope, is one yeah. word because the, you know. Yeah. Okay, well, how how would we frame? Because you, I'm gonna I'm gonna print some <laughs> T-shirts for you with the, for your digital advisor. But what awesome. should it say? Digital advisor, you know, we need to have a good slogan here. Yeah, I mean, should we think about breaking the digital divide? And ah, <laughs> digital advisors uh, fighting the digital divide. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I'm going to do it. <laughs> digital advisors, uh, and then and then you know, or closing the gap so they divide. Yeah, uh, closing the gap. Yeah. Closing the gap. <laughs> good. That's a good key. T-shirt. Yeah, I believe in that. I love it. I love it. Okay, and last, very last two questions. Um, do you have any, thing, you know, what's next sort of plan moving forward or something you're really excited about happening now over Christmas or next year? No, I think it's, um, I'm, I'm actually looking really forward to see 
how the I mean society I mean this hybrid model mm. has to, has to change mm. the way that we do things mm. has been a catalyst also in that sense yeah. to open the eyes and opportunities so I'm really looking lo- forward to just capitalize a lot of the investments the effort we've put and keep driving this momentum right keeping driving and helping people to to get to this um, not only closing the digital divide but making AI first really sense embedded in everything so yeah. that that's that's my goal and th- I think and that also that's my my key uh, key takeaway as well yeah. right awesome. and, and of course Christmas is coming spend time with the family and <laughs> yeah energizing in how, in in this time how often are you back in Peru actually not very much uh, I have my friends and my family back there that uh, that Ask me now. It's now the time. time. Now, time my, now my kids, my youngest one is, is six. So I think now they're now, also now asking quite a lot and they also want to go. So okay. it is time. So it you have a plan go. somewhere not too far. Yeah. It's awesome. time to go. Yeah. And then I have one last question. Who could you recommend to come on this pod that you would like to listen to? Wow. Um, have you have Josephine? Uh, oh, no. Not yet. Yes, exactly. <laughs> has she been in, in the pod? Okay. Yeah, because no, I, no, she, she hasn't. Yeah. I, I would say Josephine is, especially when we talk about AI, mm-hmm. uh, ethics, uh, building, um, uh, closing the divide, having less bias and so on. I think she would be a fantastic person to talk about. And that's the person I think about and give her a call okay. every time. <laughs> Good. Sounds like yeah. a great idea. Okay, Danfer, thank you very much for these two hours and 10 minutes. Yeah. It has been fantastic. And oh, we have so much more to talk about. <laughs> it was super fun, super yeah. exciting. Thank you. Thanks thank for you. the invitation again. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thanks.